Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about Just 
at Friday's Radio on Saturday morning. I know, we are just breaking all kinds of rules today. But we have had to make a very important accommodation. I would have much rather have done this than to reschedule our guest further down the line because I am so excited. I am so excited about having our guest on today. It's going to be E. Calvin Beisner. He is... Oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm so excited. He is... Um, the one of the spokesmen for the Cornwall Center for uh, Cornwall Alliance. I'm sorry, let me get this right. For the stu- of stewardship of creation, and he is here. To, he's going to be talking to us specifically about a pro-life issue and the green movement. Let's smash two things together that people normally don't think about, but it is an issue that is out there, and we will talk about it. I am so excited. But first. I've got a couple of things that I wanted to do and wanted to say, but first things first. Thomas, how are you? I'm sleepy. (laughs) I know. Nine o'clock comes pretty early for me, too, on a typical day, even though I have to get up earlier than that. At nine, I haven't been asleep. You haven't slept? I I haven't been asleep. Why? Why haven't you been asleep? Start to sleep on the Greyhound bus. Oh, where are you? Where are you? <laughs> I am in Wichita, Kansas, right now, sitting in McDonald's, broadcasting oh, live. Oh my goodness! Well, hey, and audience, you don't get much more live than this. Goodness gracious! Well, I hope you're all right, even though you got no sleep. Oh yeah, I'm probably going to cut off here in a little bit and go back to my hotel um, and lay down. But I'm gonna I'm gonna have the show on mute, so I'll be listening. Won't be talking, right. but I'll be listening. So. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, would you pray for us if you can if you well, can manage that? Yep, I will do that. Thank Deuteronomy. You Chapter 30, verse 19 says, I record this day that I have set before you, life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed may live. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Lord God, we thank you for another opportunity to share Pro-Life Friday's radio, Lord God. We thank you for our audience and our guests who's going to be on the show today, and we pray that the message that he speaks will open up some more eyes and people will have ears to hear and to listen and to be full of understanding. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we bless you. Bless Melissa, Letitia, and family, Devin, and all, everybody else associated with Pro-Life Fridays and True Radio Network, FDF, No Radio Network, and all those who work with us. In the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I woke up happy that the cards won today. They won yesterday, but I woke up happy because it was late last night. We are looking at, yes. Another NLCS championship team winning. Cards, cards, go cards. My kids and I will be dining on the best 
of what that means today locally. Free tacos at Jack in the Box and 50 cent slushies at Mobile on the Run. And, oh, wow. <laughs> and the best part is, is that the cars are going to the World Series. I have a very good feeling about this, that they are going to win their 12th World Series championship. You know, I, I read an article a friend of mine posted earlier this week that there has been an effort to drum up hostility and hate for the Cardinals. Really? I, I don't understand that. Yeah, I know. Seriously? This goes beyond the normal team loyalty, team rivalry thing. I mean, the examples given is criticism of the, uh, I guess, the Midwestern nature of the team. And not about my team is better than your team's sportsmanship. Hello, St. Louis is in the Midwest where people uh, stereotypically eat casseroles, go to church, pray, believe in Jesus, as uh, a huge and vague and broad generalization, and don't exude the stereotypes of, say, New York. Uh, what strikes me... That was so surprising for it was so surprising for a ball team for them to say this about a ball team, uh, but it's not surprising to me as a conservative. Uh, the criticisms attack the fact that many of the Cards players are, uh, you know, they, they generalize, and there are many professing believers in Jesus on the Cardinals team, and also they operate as a team is supposed to operate developing team members to meet their potential as athletes. The Cards are doing everything that they're supposed to do as a team, and shouldn't we want that for all teams? Uh, anyway, I, I thought the, the attempt to manufacture hate was not unlike the manufactured hate the media has for the Tea Party, but that's neither here nor there for today's show. <laughs> yesterday's news, aside from the Cardinals win, Cardinals win! Through whatever plans I had today for for a monologue, threw it off, so I have to talk about this. Maybe I'll have time to get to what I had planned earlier if I speak real fast, but remember, remember when we had Phil Klein on the show not too many months ago, maybe five or six right. months ago? He's the former attorney general from Kansas. Well, yep. the litigation against him finally came down, and the monkey court established to punish him for doing his job as attorney, as attorney general of Kansas just found him guilty and stripped him of his law license in the state of Kansas. They permanently suspended his license. So yesterday I sent him an email expressing my condolences. Um, this was a big deal. I'll remind everybody that this man was railroaded from the beginning on dubious charges that were shown. I mean, you can show them on face value. They are false. He got into trouble when he started investigating Planned Parenthood, the golden calf of the left. The Sibelius administration at the time, which is for all intents and purposes, is still the Sibelius administration uh, of today in the court system because she appointed so many judges, and there are so many judges that, that are loyal to her pro-abortion stance, uh, went and manufactured fault with his investigation and said that he violated the privacies of certain women who were victims of Planned Parenthood. 
Well, the evidence for that was never there. But the abortion-supporting Planned Parenthood-supporting bureaucrats were going to make this an issue anyway. So they persecuted, I mean prosecuted him, and yesterday they won that one in court um, in, in their, their own processes, their law processes. Uh, well, I am very sorry. I am very sorry for what has happened to Phil Klein. Um, see, this is, how, this is how serious the abortion left is about Planned Parenthood and about abortion. They will go after someone for years. Phil Klein has not been Attorney General of Kansas for what, uh, five years? Since, since what, 2008, I think? Or maybe before yep. then? It's been years! 2006, something like that. 2006, okay, so it's, it's been seven years. They will send the whole power of the government and any power that they have, not the government, then whatever board or administration they're in control of, after you, long after the fact. They will filibuster pro-life bill for 11 hours, all in the name of protecting the legal killing of unborn children with as few restrictions as possible that are none at all. Which brings me to dear old Terry. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yep. Terry McAuliffe, who you might remember used to be DNC chairman, chairman of the Democratic National Committee. He's not a politician, but he wants to be. He is running for governor of the state of Virginia. And this is how seriously he takes his pro-abortion stance. In an interview um, with a woman, he was on a, this is a video that he was, it was not a hot mic, so he knows that he's being recorded. This is what he's willing to say in public. A woman was asking him some questions. So on the campaign trail, and so she says, uh, so is governor, would you, Terry McAuliffe, oppose any restrictions on my right to an abortion at any time. <clears throat> McAuliffe says, yes. Woman, no, yes? McAuliffe, I would support stopping any restrictions. And then to remove any doubt, he told another woman, I'm quoting from the Life Site News, Life News, I'm sorry, LifeNews.com, who reported on this. He told another woman that as governor, he would be a brick wall against even the most common ground limitations on abortion. Woman number two asks him, also, if any anti-choice Republicans were to introduce legislation preventing me from getting an abortion after 20 weeks, would you oppose it? McAuliffe, so you have a constitutional right. This has been determined in our nation. It is a constitutional right. It is. What I said here is that I will be a brick wall to stop any erosion of any constitutional rights that any woman has in Virginia. I will be a brick wall. Now tell me of any pro-life politician who has, who has come out this strongly for pro-life legislation. 
we have here leftist Democrat politicians and politician wannabes, candidates, who will stake their political careers on their support of abortion. And yet we have a Republican Party that is telling, has told candidates that they must not stake their political careers on being the opposite to that, being for pro-life. Well, I remember very clearly. Yes, Thomas? Well, this would be one of the times, if this was the old bad, not nice me, where I would say, what a idiotic move by a bunch of really non-intelligent acting individuals. That's just the clean version of, you know, me, that that's if the old uh, people, you know, I, I'm really serious about this T shirt thing. You know, just wear the T shirt and then and then you don't have to say it out loud. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I'm I starting to like that idea more and more. Yeah. I think I like The truth the is and the, the the article goes into to further saying the truth is that Mary Mary Terry McAuliffe opposes parental consent laws, opposes twenty four hour waiting periods opposes bans on late-term abortions, opposes requiring non-invasive ultrasounds before an abortion, opposes, he even opposes the ban on partial birth abortion. If he's talking about common sense, and is he talking about doing what's right and, and leading with where people are going with this, most people in the country, most people in the state of Virginia, oppose. Uh, I mean, they, they support these type of restrictions. And let me remind us, <laughs> as we're talking about it, this is where this is going. Didn't NARAL just a few months ago say that they were very disturbed and very regretful and very uh, whatever. They're so, so sorry and disturbed by what Kermit Gosnell did. And when I say what Kermit Gosnell did, I don't want to make it a generality. Kermit Gosnell killed, excuse me, killed children, babies born alive in abortion, late term, after 20 weeks, in in his abortion facility in Philadelphia. And NARAL and and Planned Parenthood supported him doing that. And when he was caught and sent up the river for all his misdeeds, suddenly they're so sorry. They're so sorry that that happened when they were enabling and encouraging it to happen. And suddenly they're like, well, maybe we should have some restrictions. And then the very next day after that went back to opposing any type of restrictions that anybody proposed, be it moderately pro-life, which is the most of the country, where the most of the country lies, or strongly pro-life. And here Terry McAuliffe is saying the exact same thing. Listen up. Terry McAuliffe wants Kermit Gosnell's 
of his state to continue doing what they're doing. He wants there to be no law and no regulation and no restriction on abortion. Because what did he say? I'm going to repeat it right here. You have a constitutional right. This has been determined by our nation. It is a constitutional right. It is. What I said here is that I will be a brick wall to stop any erosion of any constitutional right that any woman has in Virginia. I will be a brick wall. He doesn't support any restrictions on abortion for any reason at any age at any time, which means he is flinging open the door. He is committed to flinging open that door for abortion on demand without apology for any reason. Kermit Gosnells may be free to do whatever they want. And I don't need to put Kermit Gosnell's name in there. I would say as soon as he is made governor, and I sure hope he isn't, Leroy Carhart is going to open up a practice in Virginia. I'm making a prediction right now. I would not be surprised if Leroy Carhart, this carpet-bagging abortionist that, that runs through the country on a plane performing abortions and killing women in the process, is going to operate in the state of Virginia if Terry McAuliffe does exactly what he says he's going to do. Leroy Carhart, who has been in the news, he was excused, exonerated, or whatever. Charges were dismissed against him this week concerning the death of Jennifer Morbelli, who is the second woman. Yep. He's the, that, Jennifer Morbelli was the second woman he has killed. Second. The first was in 1980, I want to say 86, but I'll have to call up the, the exact article. How, how much, I mean, this is what's going to happen in the state of Virginia. So look alive, people. Look at what Terry McAuliffe stands for. He stands for more Kermit Gosnells being able to do what they do. I have so much to talk about and not enough time. Hey there, Melissa. (laughs) Happy morning to you. You missed the part where I was celebrating the card win. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what this is about? Yeah, um, I, I have that, you know, I bright part of the day here. Bright part of the day. I, oh, I do have another <laughs> new piece of good news. I have a piece of good news, and, and okay. I don't know, by the time by the time I'm done talking about it, people might not think it's so good after all. You know, we, we, had, we spent some time last weekend together, and we had talked a little bit about um, Mark Driscoll. And there's a lot of, you know, Mark Driscoll, has uh, I don't know if I wrote anything about this up. No, I guess I didn't. For all the uh, for all the controversy that Mark Driscoll does, he does some things well and he does some things very well. Um, and I'm not yeah. talking about him showing up at the the strange fire conference today and only to be rebuffed because <laughs> I think people thought he was trying to hawk his <laughs> book. <laughs> And it's like, why does why does it have to be like that? Anyway, I before I get so distracted, I can leave the point. He wrote he wrote a he wrote an article, and it was published. 
it was published in, I believe it was Fox News. Let me see if I can call that up. Here we go. Here we go. Um, yeah, I think it was Fox, actually. You what? I didn't hear you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Fox, yeah. Yes, it was published in Fox News. And this is what I would like more pastors to do. And I... I even include the pastors from my church because they, they fall into this category too. Driscoll does I, what I wish more pastors would do. And he wrote an article talking about the 55 million people who have been killed by abortion. He says 55 million lives yeah. equals 17.5 of the country's current population. Now think about that. 17.5% is greater than the population of the African-American community, the black community in America. So in America today, there are fewer than 55 million black Americans. If we were to eliminate every individual in the country who was black and then some, that's how many people we have lost over the last 40 years. I want people to really wrestle with that. Would they stand for the elimination of an entire race, ethnic group of people to the tune of 55 million? No, they wouldn't. But if you do it slowly over a number of years, somehow that's okay. It becomes a right. He He says abortion is murder. And it's America's great denial. Both science and scripture are absolutely clear that life begins at conception. Taking a human life is murder by definition, which makes abortion a murderous act. Consider this. On December 5th, John Andrew Weldon will be sentenced after pleading guilty in the murder of his unborn baby. Weldon's girlfriend, we talked about this, Remy Jo Lee, was six weeks pregnant when he gave her an abortion pill and told her it was antibiotics. Weldon was prosecuted for violating the Unborn Victims Violence Act. Believe it or not, federal legislation forbids the murder of an unborn baby, except the five million instances when it doesn't. And a father can be convicted of murdering his unborn child without the mother's consent. But if a woman decides to end her pregnancy against the wishes of the father, that's her right to choose. Choose murder? Can't we all follow the logic? Perhaps it's because it is illogical. And so he goes on to say that this is, this is a grand contradiction that we have in our society. And it is. Mark Crutcher, our friend Mark Crutcher, has pointed this out numerous times. We are living in a grand contradiction in our country. That One that says life is... You know, we we should be, as as living human beings, we have rights. But then we have the right as living human beings to take the life of those that are not yet born so that they will never experience those rights. It's a grand contradiction. And he quotes Dr. Alveda King um, saying, how can the dream, which is Martin Luther King's dream, survive If we murder the children, every aborted baby is like a slave in the womb of his or her mother. The mother decides his or her fate. Mm -hmm. 
and we do say this, we say this a lot on this show, that abortion is a form of slavery. When somebody lives or dies based on how useful someone else thinks they are in this world, that's slavery. That is, that is the very core of slavery. So I wanted to bring that out by saying we have pastors. I know we, we knock pastors a lot for not speaking up of, about abortion. Um, and they don't. Well, by and large, they don't. But I am very thankful for what Mark Driscoll did here. If the, American, if the African slave trade were still legal in the U.S., wouldn't you hope that we would be pounding the pavement for abolition more than just a little? Of course we would. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would, I would hope so. You know, the, the way that I've seen our, our current um, culture um, of Christianity, the way that I've seen us cave to specific moral issues, abortion and, and late, well, you know, the, the same-sex marriage issue, it, it makes me wonder if we, what, we, what we would do if we were put to that test. Um, right. I, I really, I did enjoy, I, I enjoyed Driscoll's article, you know, dealing with this because it, it really does raise some questions for the church, for sure. I, I, the silence, I think the silence of Christians, except for the few who are characterized as not having anything else to do, is absolutely deafening. I, I really believe that abortion is the 800-pound gorilla sitting in the pews every week, and people either choose not to look at it or they look at it like it's part of the decor. I don't, you know, this is mm-hmm. life, this is the way it is, and, and we're not going to rock the boat because we have friends, and, we want, you know, we don't want to make them upset. I don't always have positive opinions about Mark Driscoll, but I will give this one article that he has wrote, written a great endorsement, and I wish, and I wish, and I pray that all pastors who are they themselves will say, I'm personally pro-life, will take that personally pro-life and make it public. Hmm. So I, I really hope that we can do that. Um, so kudos to him for that. So I'm going to take a quick break. We have our, I think we have our guest on the line very soon. We're going to bring him on. So let's take a, take a two-minute break. If I can find the right track. There we go.
and welcome to Pro-Life Fridays Radio. I am your host, Letitia Wong. I don't know if I introduced myself earlier or not. But welcome to the show. I, we have been talking about some really, really heavy things today. Um, aside from the fact that cars win! Yeah, I'm going to throw it in there every chance I can. You betcha. So uh, we're going to move along right now. Move it along, Letitia. Move it along. And our guest today, I am so excited. How can I say how excited I am? I am so excited that we are get to talk about something that I have been wanting to talk about for quite some time. And that is, I have noticed that there is a huge moralizing of the green movement. And by green movement, I mean this uh, environmentalism. And now you're going to talk to me and say, oh, you're already you're denying, you're a global warming denier, blah, 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 blah. You, you, here, here. You know, in my defense, I am for recycling to the hilt. I am for waste reclamation projects. I, I collect cans. I, you know, I recycle everything that I can. And I have even had worm farms to compost my organic garbage, all right? So don't point your finger. I'm doing a whole lot more than most Americans. <laughs> In my defense, all right? That's all I'm going to say about that. So uh, on, with us, on with us today is Dr. E. Calvin Beisner. He is the, I don't know, sir, what is your title? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the founder and the national spokesman of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, which is a network of evangelical theologians, scientists, economists, and other scholars working together to promote biblical earth stewardship, or what we also call godly dominion, men and women created in the image of God, uh, laboring together to enhance the fruitfulness, the beauty, and the safety of the earth to the glory of God and to the benefit of our fellow men, which addresses both of the two great commandments, to love God and to love neighbor. Amen. Well, that didn't sound like you were reading it at all. (laughs) I wasn't. (laughs) But I do get used to describing it. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Dr. Beisner. I am very, very glad It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you. Um, I was going to read it myself, but you did such a better job than I was. <laughs> um, so here, I asked you on this on the show today because there was something that you re- uh, that the Cornwall Alliance had put out probably a few months ago about how the green movement and Christian stewardship, compared to Christian stewardship, also relates to the pro-life movement, which or pro-life issues. And in particular, there was something written, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there was something written by pro-environmentalists saying that the real, to be concerned about global warming, to be concerned about drilling for oil, and to be concerned about, I don't know, carbon dioxide, is is a pro-life position. Yeah. So please tell us a little uh, bit about that. Yeah, this is what a lot of the Greens have been doing, particularly those who are trying to penetrate, to infiltrate the evangelical uh, community in the United States. They realize that evangelicals are very, very strongly pro-life and that they tend to be fairly skeptical of the environmental movement. Um, And so if they want to penetrate that movement, they need to somehow or other connect their agenda to the agenda that the evangelicals already have. 
And what they've found is that if they can portray their concerns as pro-life, then evangelicals are more ready to listen. Um, for example, uh, Jonathan Merritt, who is the son of a past president of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, he is on the pastoral staff of a very large church in the Atlanta area. Uh, he's a recent seminary graduate, and he's one of the founders of Young Evangelicals for Climate Action. Uh, Jonathan Merritt uh, was quoted just recently in an article by Ed Stetzer of Lifeway Research as saying that, uh, that uh, to be pro-environmental is to be pro-life. Uh, that's, that's kind of the way that this is getting sold. The first way that this uh, really came out in evangelical circles was in a campaign done by the Evangelical Environmental Network. And in that campaign, EEN uh, said that the, the uh, at that time, future, they're now already done, uh, new regulations by the Environmental Protection Agency on mercury emissions from coal plants, uh, that that was a, a pro-life issue. Uh, EEN claimed on the basis of very bad science, um, which we refuted in a major document that we published called The Cost of Good Intentions, The Ethics and Economics of the War on Conventional Energy. Uh, but they claimed that one in six American infants in the womb was exposed to mercury emissions from power plants uh, that their mothers uh, got through eating fish. Um, mm -hmm. at, at a level that put them at risk of, of devastating permanent brain damage. Now, if one went back and, and carefully worked through the various different scientific studies, one found instead that the fact was that the exposure rate was more likely one in a hundred or, or even most likely one in a thousand, not one in six and that the risk was not of permanent devastating brain damage, but of a, a uh, delay in neurological development that it was so slight that only a trained specialist using specially designed tests just to detect that could detect it. Indeed, uh, it also disappeared in almost all by age two, in the vast majority of the small remainder by age seven, and in those in whom it persisted, it amounted to the equivalent of about a half-point reduction in IQ, which is uh, the normal deviation. Uh, in, in fact, it's smaller than the normal deviation found in identical twins raised in the same household. And in no case was the risk a risk of death. And so, you know, since pro-life, the very phrase pro-life, you can look it up in the dictionary, you can look it up in Wikipedia, the phrase pro-life was coined as a part of the anti-abortion movement. And in abortion, right. you have not, not one in six, not one in a hundred, not one in a thousand, but one in one. One in one children right. is exposed right. to a risk not of slight neurological delay, but of death and it's not accidental right. it's intentional so what they're doing is they're obscuring the meaning of pro-life and therefore they're dividing the pro-life movement and they're making it more difficult for the pro-life movement to bring about the election of solidly truly pro-life legislators in order to roll back abortion in this country mm -hmm. oh, wow sorry that was a little bit um, of a long answer but you got to put no, these no. all together <laughs> 
No, that was that was very instructive. Uh, so, so we have now evangelicals who are, I guess, very pro and well, I don't even know how to describe it. Very supportive of very strict restrictions against environmental pollutants, which is I would say, in by itself, is a is a very it's a kind of okay thing to do. I think who's not for sure. the environment. But where has sure. this gone real, po- real pollutants, astray? by the way? Real pollutants, right. by the way, though, because, for example, calling carbon dioxide a pollutant is just simply scientifically absurd. Carbon dioxide mm-hmm. is essential to life. Uh, <clears throat> plants need it to do photos- photosynthesis, and the more of it they get, the better they grow. Humans exhale carbon dioxide every time we breathe. Uh, so carbon dioxide is not a pollutant, and the notion that opposing uh, carbon dioxide emissions from, from power plants in order to fight global warming is pro-life is, oh, my goodness, even more of a stretch than the mercury case right. was. Right. And, you know, I, in, in, our, in our program, we have had examples, we have shown examples where carbon dioxide you know, that we all breathe as human beings um, is actually opposed by many population control people that say we ought to have a smaller human population, if, if not at all even extinct human population, and that will really benefit the earth. I mean, I can't yeah. imagine anything a little less pro-life than that, but apparently there are right. people that want to pound that gavel. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the way I see it, Letitia, is that it's all rooted. We, we have to follow things down to the root. Uh, we have to be radical. The radical is, is related to the Latin word for the root of something. We have to be radical in examining things. We have to understand where ideas come from. And uh, over the years, what I've come to see is what I call a spiritual world war. Uh, Satan, of course, hates God. But he can't attack God directly. I mean, how is he going to attack an infinite, eternal, and unchangeable spirit uh, who is omnipotent, omniscient, and, and uh, uh, you know, just and all of that? He can't attack God directly. So instead, he attacks God's image, and that is human beings. And the attack focuses on two verses in the Bible, Genesis 1.27 and 1.28. 127 tells us the essence of man. It says that God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. So the essence of man is that he is the image of God uh, and that he is male and female. And uh, there we have the basis of human relationship with God and human relationship with one another. Uh, We have the basis there of heterosexual marriage, of of, uh, procreation, and of the fact that uh, because we're made in God's image, we are free agents as God is, uh, we are able to be creative and productive as God is, and we have the capacity of moral choice uh, as, as God uh, is, is holy. Then verse 28 tells us that having created Adam and Eve, God blessed them, didn't curse them, he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and everything that moves on the face of the earth. So that addresses the mission of man. And what we see is that most of the uh, culture wars that we're fighting are not whole wars. Each of them is a battle. 
in a spiritual world war focused on these two verses, on on attacking the image of God in man, uh, for instance, in attacking human sexuality, uh, trying to uh, trying to substitute homosexuality, bisexuality, uh, gay, lesbian, uh, and and so on, and even multiplying mm. the genders. Yeah. Uh, I think some people think there are seven <clears throat> genders now, uh, and and attacking Why heterosexual. Seven? Oh, sure, yeah, you can do all you want. <laughs> Uh, so that's one way in which uh, we we have an attack on the image of God, and the other way is in attacking our our, our mandate, our call by God to subdue and rule the earth. And there we see uh, attacks on productive economic systems like capitalism, uh, and wanting to substitute unproductive economic systems like socialism. Uh, we see also much of the environmental movement, which views economic development as a threat to the environment, whereas, in fact, historically, economic development is the best friend of the environment. Uh, right. The reason for that is fairly simple. Uh, a clean, healthful, beautiful environment is a costly good, and wealthy people can afford more of costly goods than poor people. If you're worried about putting food on the table, clothes on the back, and a roof over the head, you really don't care much about smog. You don't care much about agricultural uh, fertilizer runoff into lakes and streams. Uh, you don't mm -hmm. care much about uh, CO2 or ozone or anything else like that. You care about, can I get a meal to my children tomorrow? Uh, and that's, that's, all you, you know, that's all you really care about. And even if you did care about the other things, you couldn't afford to do anything about them. So a, a, a wealthy economy actually brings about a cleaner, more healthful, more safe and beautiful environment than a poor economy. Right, I, and I see that most of the most of the those on on the pro environment left seem to be. Um, I don't know. For for some reason, I look at them as being having a lot of material goods. They don't seem to oh, yeah. be those that are trying to scratch a living, working at a lower-wage job, trying to provide for their families. In fact, they don't seem right. to have jobs at all. Yeah, and they spend the a average, lot of time campaigning. Yeah. The average member of environmental advocacy uh, groups around the world, and particularly in the United States, is, is in the way upper part of the income uh, distribution in his country. Uh, that is, environmentalism is of the elite for the elite, and it is most mm -hmm. definitely not for the poor. It harms the poor. Uh, Letitia, right. we have uh, at the Cornwall Alliance, we have a, a series of DVDs called Resisting the Green Dragon that has 12 lectures in it. And one of those lectures is uh, by Dr. Jim Tonkowicz, uh, titled Ravaging the World's Poor, and it explains exactly how the green movement harms the poor around the world. The other, another one is by Dr. Charmaine Yost, and I'm sure you're familiar with Charmaine. Mm -hmm. She's the president of the Americans United for Life, the oldest right. pro-life organization in the United States. Her lecture is titled The Green Face of the Pro-Death Agenda, Population Control, mm -hmm. Abortion, and Euthanasia. Environmentalists tend to look yeah. at human beings as basically consumers and polluters, uh, and therefore uh, all we do is we use up the Earth's resources and we poison it while we're at it. 
Uh, no. Biblically, because we're made in the image of God, we are producers and stewards, and we actually can make more resources than we consume, which is why the human race has been, been becoming uh, more wealthy over time rather than less. And we can clean things up. We can actually improve the environment around us. Uh, to put it one way, uh, hunting and gathering for food, you know, if that's what we all depended on, you just go out and hunt and you find berries and roots and things like that. Hunting and gathering could support no, no more than one or two human beings per square mile in the very best habitat in the earth. Mm. But instead... Uh, by advanced agricultural methods and by, uh, by uh, ranching, you know, raising livestock and now uh, farming fish and things like that, we can support mm -hmm. literally thousands of people per square mile. Right now, the Earth's total human population density is around 300 people. And uh, we are wealthier than at any time in the past. And we're doing that using far less agricultural land than we would have been doing if we'd followed the instructions of the environmentalists over the last century and a half. We would have to farm dozens of times as much land to feed the same number of people because we wouldn't be using high-tech agriculture, which feeds people more cheaply and saves a whole lot of land for wildlife. Right. Well, this this brings us down to one of the main uh I guess the main aims of radical pro-environmentalists is that the human population, if we're going to sustain this many people, well, let's not use more land. Let's make the population go down. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so here, here, we, here comes the population control. And how does that, I mean, right. I see kind of a contradiction in ideology there, but how do you look at their, their efforts of, for uh, advocating for abortion and population control and even eugenics? Well, those are really rooted in the thought of Thomas Robert Malthus, who published an essay back in 1798 um, called An Essay on Population, in which he said that human population grows uh, uh, exponentially, you know, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, etc., doubling with every generation, whereas food resources only grow arithmetically, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, etc. And so obviously mm -hmm. population is going to outgrow food supply. Uh, that gave rise to the notion that there is a struggle for survival uh, in terms of access to those food resources. That notion lay at the root of Charles Darwin's notion of evolution. So he built on Malthus's thought and published on the origin of species. Everybody hears that title. They don't know the rest of right. it. By means of natural selection or the preservation of the favored races in the struggle for life. That undermined belief in the sanctity and uniqueness of human life as bearing the image of God and feeding belief in, in, in better uh, so-called favored and worse races right. pitted against each right. other in competition for survival of the fittest. Then that gave birth to the eugenics movement, which basically was a movement in which uh, uh, white northern Europeans decided they were at the top of the evolutionary uh, chain, and other human beings were less favored races, and they needed to be uh, prevented from, from multiplying. So uh, starting in the 19th century, 
Britain especially, but also Germany and France and Belgium and other northern European countries that had uh, colonies in Africa, Asia, Latin America, uh, began instituting policies of population control, uh, especially in India and China. And those were entirely racially based. I mean, it, right. the, the very notion, for example, that we think, uh, the, that so many people think India is overpopulated. Well, India has about, uh, about 800 people per square mile. Uh, do we think that the Netherlands is overpopulated? <laughs> no. I mean, Holland, hey, that's yeah. a beautiful place. It has population density over 1,300 people per square mile. So it's a racist thing that grows out of Darwinism and, and Malthusianism. And the mm. population control movement then has resulted in government policies to use even forced sterilization and forced abortion to keep population from growing. And the sad thing is that there is simply no need for that because human beings produce more than they consume, which means that resources grow faster than population. This is why, in fact, historically, food has become less and less expensive as a proportion of people's earnings over the generations. Wow. How does this, you talked about this coming from the 19th century, and we have played on the show before, uh, that really famous clip from George Bernard Shaw that oh, yes. basically institutes a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's called for, uh, justify your existence, where he says if you are determined not to produce as much as you consume in your life, if not more, then you know society should not be uh, should not allow you to continue your life any longer. You shouldn't be allowed to live. And how does that? I mean, I think that's that. That is the kind of the leading edge that we never hear about, even in the environmental movement, especially with all this advocacy for population control. And they say human beings are the problem. Well, this is what they're saying. Yeah, it is. And the result of that is, frankly, seeing people in an only materialistic way. Uh, this flows right out of the secular materialist naturalism of the late Enlightenment period, uh, where, the, where belief in God and in human spirituality uh, declined. And if human beings are nothing but material things, uh, then our worth is to be measured only by our material output. And if that's the case, well, then what George Bernard Shaw said makes sense. Uh, but that's not what we are. Uh, and, and it's the Bible that tells us that we are made in the image of God and that we, are, that we therefore have a dignity, we have a sanctity of human life, that cannot be, uh, cannot be substantiated on merely materialist grounds. This is why it's so important that Christians learn to think in terms of a, uh, a full-orbed worldview that starts with the Creator, God, and then goes to the creation and recognizes the distinction between spirit and matter and the fact that humanity uniquely among all other things, created things, is the image of God. That's what gives us our dignity. That's what gives us the sanctity of our lives. And that's why even when Grandma reaches the point where she can't provide for herself anymore, 
uh, her her family, her church, her close uh, neighbors, and so on, have a moral obligation to be taking care of her because she's no longer able to take care of herself. Now, if she were a dog or a cat, <laughs> well, okay, put her down. <laughs> uh, and uh, likewise, at the other end of life, at the beginning of life, right. can a baby take right. care of itself? No. Okay, well, okay, just like my dog or my cat, I can put it down. Uh, no, right. um, we are the image of God. Yeah, I know Melissa has a question. Uh, yeah, Dr. Basner, I had a question. Um, in reading um, the article um, regarding the environment issues and the, and the pro-life issues, um, on your website, something really stuck out to me um, regarding the environmentalist view um, of their protecting human life, um, mm-hmm. whereas it seems that they're more concerned with the quality of human life, whereas pro-lifers, we are concerned primarily with life itself as being valuable um, and sacred. And it seems that these are, are polar opposite ideas um, because once we start to look at human life as um, not by... Uh, being valuable not by their nature but by function and and looking at the quality of the life as opposed to um, just the intrinsic value of human life, I think that we do get into these really um, sticky areas. Um, So maybe you could talk on that a little bit. Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, They are concerned far more about quality of life than they are about uh, the sanctity of human life in principle. And that's consistent with their worldview. Now, that points to the fact that we really need to, th- to talk a little bit about sort of the, the, the underlying worldviews of most environmentalists. They mm-hmm. tend to be uh, either atheistic, secular, materialist, uh, which was the dominant worldview in the West from the mid-1800s to the late, uh, late 1900s, uh, yeah, late 1900s, Or, more recently, they tend to be Eastern mystical, in which case they are pantheistic, God is everything, or panentheistic, God is to the universe as the soul is to the body, or animistic or spiritistic, that is, there are a bunch of little spirits, gods, that inhabit the rocks and the trees and the fields and the mountains and and your toenail and (laughs) whatever, and these are capricious and, and at any rate, the result is to level everything. Atheism levels everything as mere matter and energy in motion. Pantheism, panentheism, and animism level everything to, well, it's all God or inhabited by the gods, and so there's no qualitative difference between a human being and an amoeba. And the result of that is you can't justify favoring human life over any other form of life. Uh, on on this sort of uh, uh, a ground, what all that comes from is denying the distinction between the Creator and the creation. It's what the Apostle Paul wrote about in Romans chapter one, when he said that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against uh, against the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because even though they knew God, they denied Him and they began to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Uh, And then God gives them over to a depraved mind, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools, and they exchange the glory of the uh, the, the image of the glorious God for an image like Mm -hmm. men and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And 
God even gives them over to the point where they, they, the men exchange the use of the man for, uh, of the woman right. for a man, and etc. Now, all of this is at the root of the environmentalist worldview, and the Christian worldview says, no, 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 uh, there is this distinction between creator and creature, and there's this distinction between humanity and everything else, and therefore we can reasonably talk about the principle of human life itself, not just quality of life. But finally, there's one other thing, and it's, it's really quite ironic. The world that the environmentalists want to return us to is not a world of quality of life. One of the basic insights, that <laughs> they think it's an insight, it's actually an error, but one of the basic ideas of environmentalism is that nature is really best untouched by human hands, uh, which, of mm-hmm. course, is a direct denial of Genesis 128, where we're told to subdue right, and rule right. nature. But they also think that, uh, that everything we do to interfere with nature harms nature and harms us. Well, the truth is, uh, human interference with nature is absolutely essential for human well-being and also for natural well-being. And, for example, before the Industrial Revolution, Average life expectancy at birth for human beings was about 27 or 28 years. Now it's about 80 years in developed countries. It's uh, nearing 70 years in middle-income countries. And it's uh, around 60 to 65 even in low-income countries. Nowhere in the world is it under 40. Now, talk about quality of life. Look, if there's no life, there's no quality of life. And so quality of life has improved at the very time that we have advanced our economies, uh, and, and the environmentalists think that their policies is, uh, are going to improve the quality of life. No, absolute nonsense. Uh, for mm-hmm. instance, their, their resistance to the use of fossil fuels for energy. Energy is crucial to everything we do. We use it in growing food, making clothing, making shelter, transporting people, medicating people. Everything we do takes energy. Well, if energy is extremely expensive, then people consume very little of it. But what we know is that when you consume very little energy, you have a short life. There is an absolutely undeniably strong correlation between how much energy people consume and how long they live. And that was illustrated devastatingly two two winters ago in Great Britain, where because Britain has pursued energy policies to to replace uh, coal and, and, and natural gas as their primary energy sources with wind and solar, it has driven up the price of energy in that country. And when they had a cold winter, uh, thousands of people were forced into what the Britons have come to call fuel poverty. That is, they couldn't afford to pay both their electric bills and their food bills. So they had a choice: do I do I uh, uh, you know do I go hungry? Do, do, do I eat or do I shiver? Do I eat or do I shiver? And <laughs> they chose to shiver because you can't live long without eating. Well, many of them, indeed. 28,000 died of hyperthermia because they couldn't afford to pay their electric bills because of Britain's policy. That's the, that's the fruit of environmentalist thinking. Yeah, hy- hyperthermia? Pardon? 
hypothermia. They were cold, too cold. Hi- they died of being hi- too cold. Hyper, hi- yeah, hypo, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, you're right, hypothermia. Okay. Yeah, they were too cold. They couldn't get warm because they couldn't pay electric, electric bills. Right, and, and here we have, um, you know, I have, a, I have a Christian friend, a professed believing friend, who, you know, I'm trying to switch this back over to, you know, how, does, how do believers handle these type of things? Because she um, is very much, I'm not trying to out her name or anything, <laughs> she's um, very much pro-environment. She has written before that, you know, expressed her sentiment that she believes that people are an environmental pollutant. Like people are bad for the environment. And I had replied that, well, people are part of the environment. And her, her answer to that was that we, are, we may be part of the environment, but we make the environment worse. Just people by nature of being ourselves. And, I, you know, I, I see that she is kind of representative of a lot of younger evangelical churchgoers. They're bringing this from the world, this mentality, into the church. How is this going to affect our theology, and how is this going to affect the way we, the way we understand basic humanity? You know, well, at you, some point, I think it's going to run up against the Bible, but how right. are we supposed to oh, absolutely. deal with this you, kind you, of influx of ideology? You put your finger right on it, uh, right there, where she is saying that people themselves are a pollutant. You know, think about how the population control movement describes people. We are the population bomb. Well, what do bombs do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they explode. They break things. <laughs> they, they destroy things. We're the population right. explosion. We are people pollution. We are a cancer on the face of the earth. We are, you know, the human virus and so on. And so, mm-hmm. you know, this, this gives birth to movements like the voluntary human extinction movement, which says that what we should all do is, okay, go ahead, live long and die out, but don't have any kids because, uh, because uh, every time you have a kid, you just increase the amount of pollution that you're going to produce. Well, that forgets. Right. Uh, first of all, <laughs> what the scripture teaches is about human beings being made in the image of God. We're not just consumers, we're also producers. God produced everything. What do we know about God at the beginning? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he produced everything. We are made in his image, so we ought to be, uh, and we are equipped to be, producing more than we consume. Uh, second, we are stewards. We are answerable to God for how we use his world. Can we mess it up? You bet we can. But we can also, as we learn from Scripture and from the scientific research that God has equipped our minds to do, we can also improve things so that, for example, uh, we can, we can uh, create a flood control project that keeps a flood from wiping out vast regions of agricultural land or, for that matter, of natural forest. Uh, we can do that and, and actually improve the way the earth is. But another thing that it forgets is simply that, uh, that, that pollution is itself the byproduct of productive activity. I mean, nobody sets out to, you know, just simply create pollution for the sake of creating pollution. That would be right. a total waste, to use the term mm-hmm. in two senses. It would be a total waste. Uh, Proverbs 14.4 says, uh, Where no oxen are, 
the manger is clean, but much but much uh, much produce or much much gain is in the strength of an ox. Here's the picture: uh, you have a barn. If you have no livestock, you can keep that barn really, really clean. But mm-hmm. in those days, uh, if you didn't have an ox, then you had to do all of your plowing. You had to do all of your carting by hand. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't till nearly so much soil, and therefore you couldn't grow nearly so much food to feed yourself and your, ch- your wife and your children. So you put up with a little bit of poop from the ox. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the price. And then you learned that the ox's manure could itself be spread on the ground and make the ground more fertile so that it grew more food. And that's essentially recycling. You mentioned your enjoyment of recycling earlier. One of the great challenges uh, and opportunities for Christians who really care about their environment is to become chemical engineers and, and material engineers uh, and to figure out ways to reuse things that have been consumed as far as their primary use was concerned. And we've seen an awful lot of that done, and, and more can be done. The, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be wonderful as we get to an increasingly flow-through sort of economy where nothing just simply gets totally wasted. Uh, but that's, that's human beings acting out the image of God in us. And it's, it's right. just entirely mistaken biblically to think of us as basically polluters. We're not. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you would, yeah, I was going to say, you would think with this move to um, use less resources and to um, you know, protect the environment more, um, that the movement within the environmentalist movement would be not to um, control population because, uh, or just to make the Earth's resources stretch longer, you know, per se. But we still we don't see the consistency in their message. Um, we still see this move towards population control, um, which it, it shows the um, not only about helping. Um, it could be about helping people, but not about protecting innocent human lives. Yeah. Yeah, I, as far as I could understand you, and you were breaking up there a bit for me, but uh, fundamentally uh, what, they're, what they're aiming at in population control uh, stems from their perception that the more people there are, the less of, of resources we have to meet people's needs. And so growing population leads to poverty. No, it's actually quite the opposite. Growing wealth leads initially to population growth and then to the stabilization and uh, we're, we're expecting now the shrinking of population, which, by the way, I announce not as something to cheer, but just simply as a fact. I, uh, um, uh, the, the, the world's leading demographers estimate that human population will peak around the middle of this century, that is, in less than 40 years, and then it will begin to decline. And unless somehow or other something happens to change the perception of wealthy uh, married couples about having children, uh, and so many people now consider children basically a burden, 
uh, unless something happens to really change that, we will see population shrink to the point where by about uh, the year 2300, the whole world's population will be around the same as the population of the United States right now, 300 million. That is, we will have, uh, we will wow. have lost about 95% of the human population. Wow. There are all kinds of problems that are going to come with that. With shrinking population come problems of, all right, uh, where's your workforce to meet the needs of the elderly? Mm-hmm. We're already seeing that in, in wow. China and Japan and other places where population uh, has, has begun to shrink, or in China, its growth has simply slowed tremendously. Um, uh, but there, mm-hmm. there are lots of problems that relate to that. Again, the assumption is people are basically consumers. No, people are basically producers, and on the average, they produce more than they consume. The reason, I mean, that is the reason for the historical data as to resource scarcity in this world. Every extractive resource, by that I mean we take it out of the earth. It's, it's mineral or it's plant or it's animal, okay? <laughs> Which, uh, all the physical things that we consume, right? The long-term price, price trend for every extractive resource in the world is downward, Uh, whether it's for energy minerals, whether it's for food, whether it's for wood, whether it's for uh, uh, bauxite, for tin, or anything else, the long-term price trend is downward and very steeply downward. Um, And since price is a measure of scarcity, and the more scarce something is, the higher its price is, whereas the less scarce it is, the lower its price is, what this means is that all of these extractive resources are becoming less scarce not more scarce over time, at the very same time that human population has been growing. And the reason for that is that we make resources. So the more people there are, the more resources there are. A mentor of mine, the late Dr. Julian Simon, was fond of saying, look, for every mouth born into the world, there are also two hands and a mind. And the mind and the hands working together can produce far more than the mouth consumes. Uh, we just have to keep that in mind, and, and the, the sad thing is that the population control movement has never learned that, and, and Christians, above wow. all, should see the sensibility of that, because that is, the, that is the outworking of the imago dei in man. So I would, I would really urge, uh, if you're trying to communicate these things to your Christian friends, uh, first of all, just uh-huh. simply ask them to go to cornwallalliance.org, cornwallalliance.org, and read some of the articles and the, the major papers that we have there. Uh, but also uh, send them to or go yourself to resistingthegreendragon.com, resistingthegreendragon.com, where you can uh, learn about and, and order for yourself a set of the uh, DVDs that I mentioned, Resisting the Green Dragon, Twelve lectures plus a half-hour documentary, and also a, a major book by a physicist, a Christian physicist, Dr. James Wanless, called "Resisting the Green Dragon: Dominion, Not Death," that goes into mm-hmm. even greater depth than the uh, video series. The video series is really actually a full quarter curriculum uh, for like a, a school quarter, a Sunday school quarter, etc in a box, because it not only has all the lectures and the documentary, it also has a really, really thorough leader's guide with it, with quotations, with questions, with, 
with uh, references to further study and so on. So somebody can use that in a church Sunday school or in a small group Bible study as well as in homeschooling, private Christian schooling, and so on. Uh, so I would recommend that people who, need to, uh, who want to understand this need to get these sorts of resources and, uh, and share them. And then we also have a free uh, weekly electronic newsletter that people can sign up for uh, just by going to cornwallalliance.org. Uh, sign up for that newsletter, and, and they'll get further information on this every single week. Wonderful. Hey, Melissa, can you keep Dr. Mosner on the line for just one more minute? I'm going to screen them. Yeah. Yes. Hello. Being anti, uh, anti-capitalism. Do you, do you see? Hello. Hello. I'm sorry. Yes. Hello? We're having some technical difficulties. Um, yes, I'm sorry. We're having some technical difficulties. I apologize. Um, can you hear me, sir? I heard you say you're having some technical difficulties. Are you trying to communicate to yes, Cal Beisner here? Yes, I am. Um, Dr. Beisner, can you hear me now? Yeah, that's better. Okay, that's a little better. Okay. Uh, you're still breaking up a lot. Do you want to do you want to try just um, calling me back directly on a normal phone line where we would be able to talk better? Um, it might break up the call. Um, the 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 line here. Um, let me uh, work here. I'm trying to work here to get a, get us a better connection here. I'm sorry. Okay. You, you know what? You're coming through well at the moment. <laughs> so go ahead. What uh, she asked okay. you to keep All me right. online. Okay. Okay. That's not a question for you, Dr. Beisner, so we're going to um, uh, continue. If uh, I have actually probably, about, I can probably think about 100 more questions to ask you, but I know your time uh, with us has been very valuable, and I appreciate it so much. And uh, please, I advise our audience to go to the cornwallalliance.org and Resisting the Green Dragon uh, website to find out more information. Uh, thank you so much for being on our show. I think we're going to revisit this topic in the future. Well, I'd be delighted I, I, I to come really back again. I would really like to. Okay. I'd be delighted That's to come awesome. back again. Very good. And uh, if I can just mention quickly one more thing here. Uh, we have a pamphlet yeah. called, Are Environmental Risks as Evil as Abortion? Somebody Wants Voters to Think So. That was... Uh, co-authored by Pierre Bynum, who is a pro-life leader with the Family Research Council, and Timothy Terrell, who is a, uh, an environmental uh, pollution economist uh, specializing in, in uh, regula- pollution regulation, uh, and then myself. And it, it shows exactly how the Evangelical Environmental Network uh, put together its campaign to paint people as uh, paint members of Congress as pro-life, even though they had 100% pro-abortion voting records, and to paint 100% pro-life voting record congressmen as uh, questionable in their pro-life commitment because they didn't support the EPI on, on, on mercury. And now, unfortunately, they're doing the same kind of campaign regarding carbon dioxide emissions, and it's 
it's really tragic, but right. people need to be well armed with sound information. So they can find that article uh, online, Are Environmental Risks as Evil as Abortion? Uh, and then also we'll be offering a printed pamphlet of that that they can just hand out to friends. Awesome. No, I would love to find out more information, and we actually might do an entire uh, segment on that alone, on, on how environmental policies and politics kind of play into that, and you pointing out Great. that it's impacting the uh, status of pro-life uh, politicians, you know, in that aspect. Yeah. I would love to talk about that. Be great. All right. Okay, Thank we'll you. come God back bless. to you um, on a, at another time, and, do, and we will God talk about you. that, certainly. God right. bless Thank you. you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. And we have a we have a caller. Um, caller wants to ask a question about. Uh, he says he's he and his uh, girlfriend, who used to be his girlfriend, uh, had an abortion, and he wants to tell us about how his life has been so far. Caller, yes. What's your name? Hello. Great show. Uh, um, I, like I was talking, saying before, me and my ex girlfriend from a long time and everything, we decided to not have a kid because financially we couldn't take care of the kid. So she, we, it's not I force her or she force her. We sit down. We sat down, both of them, and we made that decision. By making that decision, we both, I went back to college, she went back to college. We have a great career. She's happily uh, married to somebody else and everything. I'm still moving with my life, doing what I need to do. What was the question I want to ask is if we made that choice and everything and we were responsible for making that choice, why, why is it so wrong that we made that personal choice? Because we thought in our life that we were not ready to take the responsibility to be. Well, let me ask, answer the, your question with a question. Uh, what did you make a choice to do? What was the choice to do? What did you do? Well, the choice was, was either A, become a parent because uh, she was pregnant and everything, and or B, not become a parent and find another way. And we were not ready financially to to basically take care of a kid because a kid is not something that you could, it's not, be, once you're a parent, you're a parent for life. And I take it really seriously. Sure. It's not something that you just say, hey, I'm a parent today and tomorrow. No, it's, uh, it's uh, you're sacrificing your life for another person. You're, you're, you're putting your life aside and your priority will become that wow. kid. Okay, so um, if I understand you correctly, instead of sacrificing your life for someone else that was going to come into the world, you sacrificed that other person's life for yours. Yeah, if you would go there, yes, because I was finally not ready financially. And, yeah, first of all, we're not ready financially, and I was not ready to give everything that I had. And I had a career, things like that to to do, and if I compare it to my parents who gave everything that they had to me when I was a son, their son, I want to do the same to my son and daughter. So I'm okay. asking you as a pro-life, what is wrong with mm-hmm. that? We both moved okay. on. We both are not feeling sure. bad. She didn't feel guilty about it. She, I, I, we talked many times. We're good friends. And she doesn't feel guilty. Yeah, she's moving on. She has, uh, She's married. She has somebody great in her life. And I'm happy okay. she has a son. Okay. And go ahead. So, so basically you're saying uh, you're okay, you committed child sacrifice in order to get what you want. Well, we did and because we you were got not. What you want, okay. And since you got what you want, everything is great, you basically sacrificed, child sacrificed, your human sacrificed your child in order to get what you want. 
Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll take the responsibility of that part. But can you see that if we didn't, maybe financially we would have not been able? Maybe it would have been worse for one one of the. If if we go to the other side, I'll take I'll take I'll take what you're saying that we did the okay. sacrifice. But let's say we kept the child and we did everything that you mm-hmm. truly believe. Can you understand that it could have been worse? Also, it could have been that I could have called you the same call and said, you know what, I made a choice to keep a child. And a lot of parents will not tell the truth that they're not very happy that they had a child at that time. Let's be honest. Not every parent are really. Had a, a kid because they wanted to. They had a kid because there was an accident. They had a kid because they something happened. It's not because they had a kid because they love each other and they're financially good and they're saying UPIA. Right. I'm happy to have a right. kid. And a lot of parents have you don't ever, say that. Go ahead. Okay. Have you ever been, have you ever been uh, bullied or made fun of or being despised for who you are? Of course. Of course. Of course. So I mean, would that would that justify somebody, you know, maybe hating your guts uh, to do something in order to rid you, rid the earth of you, so that they wouldn't have to see you anymore? That, that wouldn't. No. That wouldn't justify. Okay. No. But yet no, you are no. saying that the same thing with the child that you conceived. That since okay. you think that person would make your life not so happy, uh, make things worse for your life, that it's okay for that person to die in order for mm-hmm. you to live your life without that person. Okay. So there really is no oh. difference between somebody hating your guts and wanting mm-hmm. you to die than what you have done to your unborn child. Okay. Um, okay. I accept what you said. Yeah, okay, fine. But okay, do you, you know, understand? You know, and for, well, what I understand is that you think that it's it's probably unjust for somebody to take action against you to take your life away, um, but you think it's okay for you to take somebody else's life away? No, I, th- I think that when you come to that point, it's a very serious question. You know, like I said, I truly believe that when you bring a kid well, into this world... I should you, hope you, it's a you, serious you, question. Yeah, it's a sacred question. What do you want to do? Are you ready to become a parent? And I feel truly in my heart there's a lot of people that don't that it would come with choice and you would ask them, are you still happy after having the kid for 18 years or whatever? A lot of parents, I'm sure, would tell you the truth. I'm not happy that I had that. And they would be honest. You would tell them, be honest with me. Don't sugarcoat it. Mm-hmm. Don't say that, yes, mm-hmm. I'm happy in this and that. Be honest. And you would tell them, sure. you, don't, you, could, you could really trust me and be honest. A lot of parents would say, it's not what you, I thought it was going to be. It's not what I right. thought it was going to be so, at all. So are you so, saying so parenthood, what, parenthood is all about your own happiness? No, but parenthood, it is, it, is, it is supposed to be a period in your life that you're supposed to be happy about it. You don't do parenthood just because you're doing it. You're doing parenthood because you think you're going to make a difference to, with the child and everything. You think that bringing that child and everything, you are basically his model. You, you want to give wow. the best so, example to that to that child about the, the 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 love between a man and a woman, that child okay, sees so, through you what what he has. So here's what life. I'm going to say in conclusion. Here's what I'm going to say in conclusion. I think there would be no greater value to a child born into this world, to parents who had to overcome a lot of adversity, a lot of hardship, a lot of disappointment in order to raise that child right, in spite of their own mistakes and despite their okay. own mistakes. 
Uh, It would probably have benefited people so much more. That child in particular whose life would not be flushed down either a toilet or a vacuum pump or be torn to bits. Mm -hmm. Uh, to, To have parents who say, hey, these are not ideal conditions, but I am going to overcome them to raise you the way you ought to be raised and respect you the way you ought to be respected. And, you know, parents who decide to abort their children uh, have Mm -hmm. given up. And basically you have declared you're losers. You're losers because you can't take it. You may have gotten money out of it, but you're losers. Mm -hmm. All right? Okay, thank you for your call and expressing your honest opinion. All right. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why we do what we do, to expose the fact that a lot of people abort for selfish, purely selfish selfish reasons. I mean, you're going to trade your unborn child's life in for for money, for no other than money. Hey, what do we call that? We buy slaves for money. We sell slaves for money. And nobody will ever tell you otherwise that the African slave trade was for anything other than money. So um, I know my host is on on mute right now. I'm going to purposely unmute her. Hey, Melissa. (laughs) I wanted to ask you because you are going to – I'm going to spring something on you. We're just going to move right along. And I'm going to spring something on you. You posted Uh something up on your Facebook. And you are going to be (laughs) featuring for us today the stupidest thing ever. Oh, I am. Which is – how <laughs> I know I just saw that and I'm like you're gonna do this, uh, which is which is the Obama administration comes out and blames Republicans for the tra- travesty uh, that is healthcare.gov. Would you please bring us our stupidest yes, thing ever today? Yes, yes, yes. They are apparently are afraid of litigation and red tape. This is the Democrats. They're afraid of litigation and red tape by the Republicans, so therefore they were not able to get the website or put all the resources they, that they wanted into the website, um, even though um, they have known for how long now that this, this would be up and running, um, October 1st. Almost. Um, and even almost though two weeks, they, two weeks. They, knew that, yeah. Yeah, they knew that there would be an, an onslaught of people registering, um, even though um, – they have millions of dollars of resources at their at their disposal to ensure that the website was up and running um, sufficiently. Um, and yet, still, it is still the Republicans' fault because they were afraid of the red tape and 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 all these sort of things. And therefore, they could not get the website working, even though we have countless uh, private uh, people in the private sector who have successful websites. Um, uh, you know, Amazon, he does millions of transactions every day, and their website works perfectly fine. But they cannot <laughs> get it right. But it's the Republicans' fault. I, I know. I mean, it's the fear yeah. of the Republicans. Yeah, they are so powerful uh, that you have to be afraid of them, and so the glitches are, are really their fault. <laughs> I I don't know who's going to buy this argument, but I'm pretty sure somebody is. So that is our stupidest thing ever. Um, And and the last thing I want to add to our show today before we end 
is this heartwarming story, and I was going to bring it up earlier, but I really wanted then to end with it because I want to leave people, especially after our caller, I want to leave people with this story, which is um, this, where did I put that story? I'm sorry, I lost it. (laughs) I'll recite it, Um, which is over the weekend, um, there's a, a girl called Molly Ann Dutton, became the home and coming queen of her college and she appeared on Fox News telling her story which helped her become home and coming queen and it's a very compelling story she was the child of a sexual assault which is a clinical way of saying rape and her mother as she shares her story her mother was was raped and here she is on Fox News And I'm going to play this clip for you of her telling her own story. And it's awesome, and everybody needs to listen to this, because uh, especially in light of the caller that we just had, who says that people need to be sacrificed so that other people can get what they want in life. Uh, Sacrifice as in their lives must be sacrificed. I think here is a great example of a young woman who got the chance to live and now is experiencing such a, a blessing so here, here she is. Um, I'm going to play this in progress. Well, I turn off the weird owl. Morning. Her biological mother became pregnant after being sexually assaulted, and she was pressured by her husband at the time to abort the unborn child or face divorce. But along with the support of a Christian adoptive agency, Molly Ann was born and immediately adopted into a loving family. 22 years later. She's using her own voice to help other women choose life. Joining us now, Auburn University's newly crowned homecoming queen, Molly Ann Dutton. Welcome, and thanks for being with us, Molly Ann. Thank you all for having me. You know, your mom's story is certainly one of struggle and also just perseverance and making a choice for life. And the fact that you decided to take up that cause um, and do something about it is remarkable. Tell everyone how that decision came about to do that. Absolutely. I knew if I wanted to share one story on Auburn's campus, I did want it to be impactful and reach all different areas of Auburn's campus. And through the encouragement of two of my friends, um, we were actually at lunch, and we kind of tossed a couple of ideas out there. And I walked away from the table, and they started chatting, and I came back to the table, and their eyes were vibrant. And I asked them, what are y'all talking about? And they said, Molly, and you need to share your story because I have been graced with a very impactful story, and um, from there, all three of us started tearing up, which isn't very rare for three women to get together and start crying, but however, it was just confirmation that that's the words that Auburn was going to hear. Well, they certainly knew your story. Uh, Will you share with America now the story that got you to this point of your mom? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm actually the youngest of six kids, and the latter four of us are all adopted, so We filter in from all different families, and my biological mom was a young married woman who lived in California, and through some series of events, she found herself a victim of sexual assault and pregnant through that act, and um, she went to talk to her husband and talk through this, and he just gave her an ultimatum to either abort the child or suffer a divorce, but that's when her journey did take her down south to Birmingham, Alabama, and there in Birmingham, she found Lifeline Adoption Agency. 
And MyFlan is not just an adoption agency, but it serves as a banner for education, prevention, and support for women and men going through those really critical times in their lives. So my mother walked into the office and needed counseling, and because that resource was made available to her, she decided to give birth to me. And here I am, sitting here before y'all 22 years later, declaring how radiant my life has been. And um, like you said earlier, my, um, my parents were actually serving on the board of Lifeline when my birth mother walked in the doors, and that's where those lines connected. And since then, I have been in a very loving home. In lighting up the world, you certainly are. Talk about light up life. This is your true cause. There's been glow sticks and T-shirts out there, and that's your slogan. What does that mean to you and everyone? Yes, we really um, were very interested to see how we were going to display this. What's been hilarious is that from Friday to Monday of this past week, we tried to prepare ourselves how 25,000 Auburn students were going to receive a story, and we had no idea how the public was going to receive a story. That was just not in our mindset. And we knew that there were a lot of stigma or there words like sexual assault or abortion or even life carries a stigma in itself, a negative stigma. Um, however, we knew that we wanted to make it fun and to know that life is so light and radiant and that's how Light Up Life began. And we tossed around that this is a story of restoration and hope and those were in the mix of all of this, but Light Up Life was so perfect because it is something to be celebrated. And like you said, we had glow sticks and T-shirts. We passed out daisies on the Aww. concourse just to celebrate what life really is. All right. And let me tell you that I'm <clears throat> reaching for a tissue right now. And, and then it really is. The bottom line is she has turned her life into a very positive message for life. I mean, it was because somebody cared to offer life to her mother and say there is an alternative. You don't have to abort your baby. Uh, your baby can have mm -hmm. a, a life with an adoptive family. You don't have to go about this alone. That she's standing here for the world. I mean, this is on Fox News, so this now the entire country knows her story. Um, that, you know, there's so much there's so much stigma that she's right attached to life. And does that make any sense to you that there's a negative stigma on life? I, I, I think, uh -huh. I think um, what's her name? The one that Susan, is it Susan Sarandon or Susan? I don't know who, who it is. Um, I just forget her name. Pleading on air every night in late night television for um, – abused animals you know the ASPCA is helping mm, abused animals yeah. why don't you yeah. and they show these animals that are trembling and shaking because they've been abused and that why don't you have a heart and help these poor animals well why this is basically the same plea only we're pleading for human beings which are so much more um, valuable in our eyes as human beings because they're persons for pleading for their lives, we can say we can say like our last caller that this person will never add anything to our lives. This person, we will never be good parents to these persons, you know, these unborn, unwanted children. But you have to understand, even as our guest had said, there is a mind attached to that person, a mind and two hands. And this young lady is now going to be a positive, a, a positive message to the world 
as a human being. You you can't do that. Dogs will never say for themselves, please um, end the suffering of all dogs. <laughs> but we understand that human beings have a message, and which is not to destroy and to kill, and to to look down on people who are not born, quote unquote, the right way or at the right time. Who are we to judge? what another person is capable of before they're even born. Who are we to judge that? So I really uh, applaud Miss um, Dutton for her courage to stand up and share her story yeah. in such a beautiful and, way. And Letitia, you know, the, the, the thing is, none of us really know, I mean, we weren't there, you know, when our parents found out that we were pregnant, you know, that they were pregnant with mm-hmm. us. and. You know, none of us knows, that, you know, what what could have been our fate as well, you know. And I mm-hmm. think um, very brave. Um, I think that it it needs to be to, to be talked about. We need to see that, you know, these are real people. Um, that, um, you know, this there there is there are real consequences. You know, they're real. Right. Um, when we when we make the wrong choices, when we when we don't do what we know is right, that. Um, you know, and, and it, you know, we're not saying that because she grew up to be homecoming queen or because she grew up to be something, um, you know, positive in life as opposed to being, you know, a convict or something that, you know, thank God she was chosen, you know, that her mom chose life. We're just saying that as human beings, look at the face of a human being here. And um, right. her life is valuable and precious regardless of her accomplishments in life. Right. Right. I mean, I, mean, I didn't. I was never a homecoming queen, but I, I can't say yeah. that uh, anybody, anybody with with in her situation. How many homecoming queens have we aborted? How many doctors have we aborted? How many people that potentially could have cured cancer by now have been abortion? We're not going to talk about what you know. We're not. It's not about what they could have done, but we're talking about the human potential that is lost. That is them these human beings that are far more valuable as human beings than what they contribute in society, but that they do contribute in society is something we need to consider. How, I mean, we are, we are not looking at people um, simply as commodities, but when we look at them, part of their right. lives is contributing to society. And, I, I can't say that, okay, there, there are people that might be, have been born under worse circumstances and will never live a, a, a life that even approaches going to college and experiencing homecoming queens. But is that person any less valuable? I mean, are we not simply also saying that if they don't contribute, I mean, they're less valuable? Like our caller had said, but you know, under, if, if somebody is not born under ideal circumstances, you know, it's worth the sacrifice. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that at all. I think what we've shown uh-huh, and shown uh-huh. in facts is that it, it's far more value. It's far more the right thing to do to give people a chance to do something with their lives in spite of their circumstances. Right. Um, you know, I could launch into the whole, you know, do you know the, the parallel story between, I'm not sure if it was Thomas Sowell, or, but there was, uh, I will find this, and we're going to put this on air next week, 
it is the comparison between two lives. One of them was a privileged life in a upper middle class home filled with privileges, and the other one was um, the other life had grown up in and and around drugs and poverty and crime. But one ended up being the Unabomber, and the other one ended up being a world class economics professor. <laughs> so. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to share that full story next week. I, I think we're, that's worth talking about. But um, I think this is it for our show. I want to thank our audience for listening yeah. today. Yeah. And I know Thomas had to get going and doing something, uh, but he is – this is Saturday, so this is not our regular day, so we all had plans <laughs> that we are going to get mm-hmm. to just as soon as we can. So, hey, yes. Melissa, it's great to talk to you. Thank you for being on the show with us today. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and congratulations so... to your card wall. <laughs> oh, yes, Carlin. Carlin, I think I'm going to run out and get myself uh-huh. a slushie now and some free tacos <laughs> and enjoy this win because, you, you know, I, let me gloat. Oh, 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 that reminds me. I've got to gloat today. I said I was going to gloat, so I'm going to get some gloating on. Remember two, I think it's two or three weeks ago, I had said when we were in the middle of the shutdown that our dear president was trying to make this shutdown as painful as possible for as many people as possible uh, all over the country. He was not just shutting down government offices and bureaucratic offices and all those things and extra people in the government that were that were hired but an unessential. He was shutting down national parks to the point that you couldn't even see the monument monument. You couldn't see Mount Rushmore. They had to put they got the police to put up cones so that you couldn't stop at places along the road, even outside the park to see it. They might as well have put a sheet over the Mount Rushmore. That's kind of what he wanted to have happen. And we're like, you know, who does this? Who does this? And I thought, you know, this is the kind of thing that 13-year-old girls do to each other um, when they when they uh-huh. fight over a, a boy that they like or, you know, they just really want to kind of claw your eyes out. And this has all the scratch marks of a female-conducted shutdown. And people are like, what? Come to find out <laughs> three days ago that the author and the, the what was the right word, the uh, brain trust behind the shutdown, the architect of the shutdown, is none other than Valerie Jarrett. Now, I only had two choices. I had either Valerie Jarrett or the president's wife, the first lady, Michelle Obama. And it, it it was kind of hard for me to decide one or the other, so I didn't name one. But I knew it was one or two, or one of them, the other, or both of them, who was insisting that all of these take place because this just sounded too female to me. <laughs> and turns <laughs> out that's exactly right. No dude would ever go as far as to cat armed park rangers harass a bus full of tourists at Yellowstone National Park and say no recreating. I mean, how I thought that was a hoax. I thought it was a joke. I thought it was something from The Onion, a parody. No recreating? 
because the government is in a shutdown? And I'm like, if this is true, this is all the earmarks of of this hormonally induced shutdown. This is a hormonally driven shutdown, and that's exactly what it was. So I'm going to tell the audience I was right about that. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs> Another one for the right, we're going to end <laughs> We're going to end with that. So have a great day, everybody. See you on Friday for another broadcast of Pro-Life Fridays Radio. We will see you then. Good night. God bless everyone. Put your hands up, open wide. Put your hands up side by side. Age don't matter like race, don't matter like place, don't matter like what's inside. Let the kick drum kick one time. Breathe out, let your mind unwind. Eyes on the ceiling, looking for the feeling. Wide open, let your own eyes shine. Yeah, it's where the fight begins.
I'm gonna be there for you 